The music's on, the disco ball has dropped, and actually, let's turn the lights back on and the music down, because tonight we're taking a deep dive into the way social media impacts our voyage upon the wagon train to the stars. This is episode nine of Disco Trek, a Star Trek Discovery After Party podcast on the Tricorder Transmissions Network, and this is our first supplemental episode that I've lovingly, lovingly titled Star Trek versus Social Media. I'm going to talk about the content of this podcast and what to expect in just a moment. But first, let me introduce everyone else. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Hewlett. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing tonight? Hey, Heather. Doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, and with this are two of our Star Trek Las Vegas friends. And Carl, you were on the show already, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I was back for episode four. Or That's I guess what? it was episode three for this show, but it was four yeah. episode four. It's a little confusing. <laughs> I was, I'm pretty sure. We've had so many guests on, but you're difficult to forget. Um, so everybody, Carl Wonders is here. And our other friend is new to the show, but not new to our friendship. Welcome, Amy Imhoff. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you, Heather. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. So before we dive into the meat of this discussion, I wanted to talk a little bit about the content of this episode and what it is and is not. First and foremost, as this is a discovery-centric podcast, we will be discussing sensitive material regarding sexual harassment, assault, PTSD. These are all issues that have not only come up in the real world surrounding actors in the show, but have played a part in the plot of the first half season of Discovery. While we don't plan to spend an excessive amount of time discussing these topics, just please take note that they may come up. So if you're sensitive to those subjects, you may not want to listen to this episode. As for what this episode is and is not, I want to spend a little time talking about this because I feel it's important. Social media's presence in the land of Star Trek has been very divisive, but in reality, Star Trek's past is divisive enough without social media. Tonight, we're going to tackle the subject of how social media's influence impacts not only our experience as fans, but the experience of the creatives and cast who make Star Trek come to life. In a perfect world, this podcast would be a discussion among Discovery fans and non-fans, but I wasn't able to make that happen. However, I feel that tonight's panel is varied enough that we're able to provide some perspective from all sides, even if none of us truly dislike Discovery. That being said, our goal for this podcast isn't to convince anyone that they should or shouldn't like Star Trek Discovery, nor is it our intention to shame anyone who isn't a fan of the show. It is, however, meant to facilitate a discussion that explores and maybe even helps explain why there's such a division within the Star Trek fandom and what we can do to help change the tone of the conversations around Discovery and bridge the cap and bridge the gap between us. So before we get started, I wanted to go around and kind of let everyone introduce themselves, tell their Star Trek story, and give their overall reaction in the first half season of Discovery. Um, so Amy, why don't you lead us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, sounds good. Um, so I got into Star Trek when I was seven years old. My first episode that I ever saw was Yesterday's Enterprise from The Next Generation. So I had a really good introduction to the show. 
Um, I really liked seeing the female characters on the show and they really became a focal point for me, which is why Captain Janeway is my captain and my favorite character. I'm sure I will tell anyone who will listen and everyone who (laughs) is familiar with my work knows it to be true. Um, But I've done a number of panels at Star Trek Las Vegas, um, Star Trek New Jersey, the Mission uh, New York that happened last year for the 50th and as well as other regional conventions such as Shore Leave. Uh, in Maryland, talking about women in science fiction in general and also Star Trek in specifics. So when I heard that Discovery was going to have so many awesome lady characters, um, I was really looking forward to it. And so far, it has not let me down. Um, I really do like... Uh, actually, my favorite character on the show, I think, that is a woman, is Tilly. <laughs> uh, I really like her. And I, I do love Michael, obviously. She's um, she's a very serious person and, like, very intense in a, in a, in a way that I was not expecting her to be. And I, I like that about her. Um, but Tilly is the most easily likable and easily identifiable <laughs> for me because I often <laughs> – you know, sometimes you say you're, you, you know, I, I'm very outgoing and, and, and bubbly and enthusiastic. And also I have strong opinions. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> I might occasionally, you know, offend somebody with what I have to say or what I, what I jump in with. And, you know, I'm, I've accepted that about myself. And I think Tilly has accepted a lot of things about her personality, just like, like everybody needs to. Right. Yeah. So I, I enjoy her and I really loved, uh, Philippa Giorgio, and I was sad to see that we lost her so early on, but I think it was good to kind of set the tone um, with that kind of a captain. And she seemed like a very encouraging captain, especially of Michael and her career path. Yeah, I think there's there might be a petition out there to get a Giorgio spinoff. I'd watch it. I totally watch it. And I just like seeing so many, um, I like to just see so many different new faces, um, you know, male and female and robot and alien on the bridge. I've, I've, I followed Doug Jones for a long time. His, his career in Hollywood has been really interesting. Um, I really liked, uh, was, I was, uh, of course I, I enjoyed Battlestar Galactica quite a bit and I was glad to see, uh, Rekha Sharma had a, a brief, uh, but memorable turn. Yeah. On, on the discovery. Um, I also like the Admiral. I'm glad that she's still with us. Yeah. Whether or sure. not she's going to make like dif- life difficult for Lorca is, is another question. <laughs> or whether and, Lorca uh, is going to make life difficult for her somehow. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's capable. And I love Anthony Rapp. I've been, I saw him and when Renton had their revival, it was about 12 years ago now. Um, I saw him when they came back to New York and he was incredible. And also he's in one of my favorite X-Files episodes. And I think (laughs) when I heard that he was going to be the first openly gay character in Star Trek, I thought, you know, this is the perfect choice for casting. So I'm very happy to have him as part of the cast as well. Yeah. He's so, yeah, that's my feelings on discovery so far and where I'm coming from. And, you know, it's it's not all like, you know, roses and rainbows. I (laughs) have You know, there's definitely some things that I think like, oh, that was a, an interesting choice or I might not have liked a couple of like the, you know, character choices that they've made so far or plot yeah. choices. But um, overall, I think they're making they're I think they're doing very good work on a franchise and they're doing right by it. Awesome. I agree. Uh, so, Carl, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, kind of like uh, like Amy is I, I I started watching Star Trek when I was uh about seven or eight. Um, and I always like to tell people my 
initial exposure to Star Trek because it's it's not something you would really expect for somebody that then fell in love with with Star Trek in general because uh, the first thing I ever saw was Star Trek three as the film um, and then the two episodes of TOS that I followed that up with were Spock's Brain and the Empath which are not exactly held in a lot of high regard among fans although I actually have a real soft spot for Spock's Brain in a way um, but uh, that really quickly uh, turned into a full-blown fandom when uh, Star Trek The Next Generation debuted, um, when we all sat down to watch Encounter at Farpoint, and, you know, I was hooked from the opening credits, really. So, uh, and that's really carried me through um, most of my life. Um, I did have a bit of a break from Star Trek, not because of Star Trek, but because I just was in graduate school and I didn't have the time that was needed to sit down, although... At the time, it was fine because you could, you know, pick up a show here and there at random and you probably weren't going to be missing a lot of the plot. Uh, this was uh, mostly for Voyager, really. I, I still watched uh, Deep Space Nine all the way through. Um, and, you know, now with with Discovery, um, you know, the idea of having this serialized storytelling, since that's really where t- TV has gone um, and, you know, Deep Space Nine really played along a lot with that uh, towards the end of its run, especially. But this was really supposed to be the first time we had a full serial storytelling. Um, and, you know, first, I want to say that basically everything Amy said about the characters, I completely agree with. I think it's it's a really interesting cast of characters. Uh, I think they're all very well realized by the actors involved. Um, it's great to see the diversity that we have in Trek. Finally, um, it's great to see, you know, I think I, I'm I'm very much a team Stamets viewer. Um, I think <laughs> Stamets is amazing. Um, my fingers are crossed that whatever's going on with him at the end of the episode, last episode is going to get cleared so, up. <laughs> I was so worried. My husband's like, you look so upset. And I was like, but what if something happens to him? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. And then there's some, there's some heavy looking stuff that goes on in the preview for the next round of episodes too. So yeah. if, if anything happens to him or Colbert, I'm, I'm going to have a problem. Um, or did you catch the love love OM reference for that? Rent? Uh, that made me so happy. <laughs> that, that, I was so excited. I was so excited. No, no, I was, I was like, that was, I was like, well played Star Trek. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> um, and you know, like, like you said, there are some niggling things about the show that have been bugging me. Heather, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, I'm not convinced, honestly, that that it's really is a serial story. Um, a lot of it feels like they had plot points they figured out. They said we have to get from A to B to C to D. And they do that. But then these episodes also seem to be very self-contained in that they they sometimes do have that reset button feel to them where, sure. you, you know, you have at the end of, uh, of Leafy, you have a situation set up and then you follow that and – I apologize if I'm mixing up my episodes. I have to go back and do a rewatch, but you follow that up with the, the, the time loop episode, if I'm not mistaken, and mm-hmm. you have Lorca there and he's just doing his own thing, you know, being captain and yeah. no, no reference back to all the stressful stuff he went through in the previous episode. Or, um, you know, you had that wonderful chilling moment with Stamets in the mirror and, 
that's just been left by the wayside. Yeah. And I, and I, and, and I know I've had, I've had conversations with people about, you know, the, their annoyance at the whole, you know, previously on Star Trek discovery, um, recaps where they, they're, they, it's not just what happened. Yes. Last week. It's, it's, yeah. Remember that plot point in four episodes ago that we've completely ignored. Well, we're going to bring that back in now, you know, kind of thing. And, and, it doesn't seem to me like it's a story that if you were to write a novel, I don't know if the plot would progress the way it's doing. But, you know, all in all, I'm I'm happy with each individual episode more than I am with the entire arc of the season, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. The episode with Sarek, um, that was seemed like a step out and then it came back to where they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They really wanted to, like, establish her, like, relationship with Sarek in a different, like, more concrete way than they had previously and that but they also real- had to like well he was gonna go meet the Klingons so maybe we'll send someone else instead oh that's what that yeah. was really about <laughs> yeah it was we have to get we have to get rid of the admiral somehow so oh the admiral's yeah. causing problems for me she's gonna take <laughs> away my command how convenient a Klingon mm-hmm. meeting that was really a great episode because of the development for uh, Michael Burnham's character and just heard the background and then looping that whole story into the entirety of star trek canon that was cool yeah Um, yeah i love the way they're they're playing with like the 50 year history of star trek of you know you know she no she she was bypassed by by sarah yeah because he wanted his full said i'm not gonna go so yeah yeah Yeah. she's not his biological child i think that was a big yeah. yeah Yeah, and as so, I'm, I'm, ad- I'm adopted, and to have the main character of Discovery be adopted, I like, I didn't realize it right away because you know, like you're like, oh, she's the ward of of Sarek. I thought, oh, okay, cool, but then it really dawned on me, you know, she's a, she's adopted, and and this is this adopted person like navigating this family, and to have him choose Spock as a mm-hmm. as the the one he wanted to go, you know, to the in, in her instead of her, I was like, oh, that's like very. Um, that's a very emotional. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of it that way. That's a great perspective yeah, to great. bring. My, my brother is not adopted. My parents didn't think they could have kids and I'm not comparing it to that. There's nothing like that in my past. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was, they were, you know, they were very, uh, they were very even tempered with both of us in terms of opportunity and everything like that. It wasn't a, this not a personal issue, but just to understand it from the perspective of someone who's adopted, I was like, that is harsh. Yeah. That is a harsh thing for her to deal with. Especially because she's, I'm, you're not allowed to have emotions, but deal with this horrible thing. (laughs) (laughs) Just suppress it, compartmentalize it, forget actually dealing with them. Yeah. so, Jeff, do you want to tell us a little bit about your Star Trek story? Sure, sure. Yeah, I I was born in the 70s, so I was born a little too late for the original series when it officially aired. But I was fortunate enough to have uh, an uncle who was very much into Star Trek, and I got sat down to watch it a lot when I was very, very young. And um, I remember the first episode I saw was The Devil in the Dark, and that's been my favorite episode pretty much ever since. And I've talked about that a lot on the Tricorder Transmission, so I'm not going to belabor that too much. But I was also a very lucky Star Trek fan because my uncle took me to see every single Trek movie uh, when they opened. So I've seen every single movie in the theater on opening day. And I've seen every series uh, through uh, all the way through Discovery now as they aired on TV. So I've been with Trek ever since I was a very, very 
little little kid and I I've also been podcasting about Star Trek for four and a half years and over like 240 some odd episodes now so I've been talking about Trek for for a long long time so and all of our Disco Trek listeners I guess have been listening to my opinions on Discovery so far so I don't need to rehash everything about Discovery so far but um quick recap I was on the fence the first three episodes I had a little bit of a rocky start with Discovery but uh, episode four really turned me around and ever since then I've been getting more and more and more into it and I think at the on the last Disco Trek last week or actually earlier this week I was gushing about um how great the season mid-season finale was so I'm fully on board and can't wait for January to roll around and did the time episode shift your the time loop episode was that what shifted it no it wasn't the time loop episode it was um what was episode number four? The the, choose your the butcher's pain? knife. The butcher's oh, knife. It was yeah. the butcher's knife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was the oh, butcher's okay. knife. That that was the one that turned me around, and I've been getting more and more into it. I think Lethe was a strong one for me. I I just Frayne Sarek is just brilliant. That episode was brilliant. You guys have already talked about it quite a bit here, and um, I just I reiterate whatever every every comment everybody said. It was just, it was spectacular. Um, I I liked actually liked the um the episode on the on the Pavan planet. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. I love the um on location shooting and uh that was just a nice break from uh, from being in the ships all the time. Um I just everything has been great uh, since episode four for me. It's been just been building and building. I'm I I've loved the I'd love I've loved how a lot of the characters have developed. I, I wish that we had more time to get to know more of them. I guess that would probably be my one biggest um nitpick for Discovery is I just don't feel like we have a crew that's that's gelled like other Trek shows have. I don't feel like we're as a, as cohesive a whole uh, from a crew perspective. Uh, but that's it's still early in the show. It's only the first half of the first season, so there's plenty of time uh, for for the crew to really come together and gel and become more of a unit like we're used to seeing. But um, I, I'll leave it there. But uh, yeah, huge Trek fan for a long, 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 long time, and um, very much into Discovery. I tend to forget that this is only nine episodes and only a half season. <laughs> I know, right? It yeah. feels longer. <laughs> a lot has happened. A lot yeah. has really... Yeah. It's, it's been intense and involved, and it feels like we've gotten a lot more out of these nine episodes than in the first, you know, what, 13 episodes of, of other seasons. Um, in some respects, in others not, but... Um, so I get a little self-conscious telling my story, and I think that kind of de- plays into the the division that we're going to talk about, because um, although I was interested in sci-fi as a child throughout my life, uh, I never, never was drawn to Star Trek. I watched uh, some TNG and I think some Voyager when that came out, and I think that um, the the general public's perception of at least the the public I was around said Star Trek is for nerds. And I think that that really um, discolored my perception of what I was watching because, you know, given there are some bad episodes of Star Trek out there, I can't say that every episode. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I didn't really get into it until I was an adult and my uh, ex-husband's, uh, was a Star Trek fan and grew up watching it with his family and his moms, especially. Uh, so we started watching Enterprise um, when that when that came about. And despite the fact that 
uh, you know, we were on the internet at that time. There's still, you know, social media wasn't what it is now back then. Hopefully that made sense. Uh, so, uh, you know, I wasn't getting on a podcast, <laughs> hopping on Facebook and Twitter and tweeting about it right after every episode. So I watched it and I will be honest, Enterprise probably wasn't the first, the best first show for a woman. Uh, and I lost interest, I think, somewhere in the third season of it. Um, but so Nemesis was my first film in the theater, first Star Trek movie. Uh, so despite Aww, everyone, yeah, so despite awesome. everyone hating it, I have a soft spot in my heart for Nemesis and for Tom Hardy now that he's all grown up. I um, do not hate Nemesis. You are not alone. <laughs> you are not alone. I'm glad because I know it gets a lot of a lot of slack out there, but. Um, uh, I moved out to Colorado in 2008 and then in 2009 went to Starfest here in Denver, which is not specifically Star Trek, but had a Star Trek, had more Star Trek guests than, than not. Uh, and then I went to Star Trek Las Vegas for the first time in 2009. And since then, like my life has changed completely. Uh, the the ex-husband is an ex, of course. Uh, and I have found uh, a true family among the the people at STLV and then within our unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas Facebook group, which we mention here all the time. Uh, and I have just, I just fell in love with Star Trek, embraced it completely. And now I do several podcasts about it and spend the majority of my time talking about it. Um, but I... I have a hard time telling that story because really my fandom kind of bloomed, uh, you know, in 2009, like when the, the the first Kelvin timeline film came out and it's, it's upsetting that there's such a division there with people who either like those movies or who strongly dislike those movies. And I sometimes and am embarrassed to tell that story because I don't want people to think, Oh, you know, think poorly of me because my fandom kind of took hold during that time, if that makes sense. So I think that for the most part, people have realized that the Kelvin timeline brought a lot of fans and, you know, a lot of new blood to the franchise and is probably a big reason as to why we have discovery on television today. So I wanted uh, to jump. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say about damn time, Star Trek return to TV. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, I think, you know, those of us here, like, we're happy to have Star Trek on TV. And I'm not saying that, you know, everyone should just be quiet and accept that this is the Star Trek you get and so be happy that Star Trek is on TV because that's that's not a fair thing to say. Um, but it's it's been interesting because, like I said, um, you know, right now we live in this age of social media where – we're all people behind a keyboard and yeah, you know, all of us, we get together at a convention once a year, usually, or other conventions and get to talk to each other in person and in-person communication is usually, usually a lot more productive <laughs> than online communication. But this is really the first time that we are experiencing new Star Trek in a way that we can instantly connect with our friends. And as we know, discovery has been received very well by many and not very well by many others. And while I think right now it seems really prevalent, like this division just is kind of in our face. 
it's really been there <laughs> like like since TNG uh, was announced. I think everyone's probably seen that news that newspaper clipping that people are showing with all the little snippets about TNG and how oh what it's a different ship. It's not Captain Kirk. Like this is a captain is bald. Who is this British <laughs> man with the yeah. big nose? <laughs> yeah, Klingon on the bridge. Why does he look like that? <laughs> I lived through that. I lived through that. I remember, yeah. and I was, I remember distinctly being uh, anti TNG when it aired because I was so How into. How were you when it started? I just need like a sense of your like growth mindset. Well, I was young at the time and I was used to Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and the, the movie. So I was very into that. And I was, it was a change, you know, it was a change. It was jarring. It was new and it was different. And it took me. I think almost all of the first season before I really settled into it and embraced it for what it was. And I enjoyed it after that. But, um, you know, I remember, you know, and this was way before anything social media wise, before even the internet or email, any of that stuff. And all we had were our friends and family maybe. And I guess if you were old enough coworkers, but you know, all you had were the people that were around you to talk to. So, um, you know, I remember maybe, 25% of the people that I knew, including me, were in that camp and the other ones were more. But there was never any. It wasn't like the the vitriol you see today. It was more just like, eh, I'm just not into this. It's not my Star right. Trek. There wasn't yeah. it wasn't people spewing hatred about it. It wasn't I didn't walk up to somebody in the in the hallway in high school or in school and start talking about the next generation and people start, you know, completely ripping the show apart and cursing and swearing and saying you're stupid for liking it or whatever. It <laughs> yeah. just wasn't that way. It was much more civil. Well, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't know, Jeff, if you ever got your hands on these things, but um, I had a friend who was a, well, she's my, my mom's age. They worked together in the library and she was a big Star Trek fan. And she actually subscribed to these fanzines that, you know, people used to sit in their basement or mm -hmm. in their living room or whatever and type up these handmade magazines and staple them together and mail them around. And it was the first kind of fan community. And, you know, she would get them and then she would give them to my mom and my mom would give them to me and I'd read through them. And a lot of it was these, you know, letters that people would write to the fanzine. And I distinctly remember a letter from somebody that was basically listing all the characters and that, that had come out on the, you know, for next generation. And it was really early on. So, it was still Julian Picard was the name of the captain originally. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and it was and I, I, I don't remember all the comments, but it was basically Julian Picard. And it was like, come on, really? Like this guy's going to be in his 50s and he's going to be the captain. And, and I, I I'm paraphrasing, but I distinctly remember the sentence. And he's not even an American. Oh, one no. of was one of the work was was the sentence that was in there. And then the next one was Will Riker. And it's like. Make him the captain. You know, he's the Kirk kind of guy. And and I think it was still when it was like Masha Hernandez was still the character instead of Tasha Yar. And and Leslie uh, Crusher was the kid and not <laughs> Wesley. But, you know, and he just went through. <laughs> and then that's I, awesome. And, 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 and but it was I mean, it's an, it's a neat time capsule. I wish I still had them, but they got lost in one of my many moves. But, you know, these things, you know, these complaints were still out there. But I think one big difference now is that, you know, even then it was – Here's the person's name and here's their address and here's what they wrote. Right. And there there yeah. yeah, there's there's this you're, there's a tangible tie to an actual person that 
exists in the real world and and their their words you know for lack of a better term have consequences and now it's basically like i could be you know joe blow 72 on twitter and i could say all the junk i want at anybody i want to and none of it will come back to me the actual person yeah, no computer. accountability anymore yeah There's exactly no reputation building because you right. can instantly erase whatever reputation you have by changing mm-hmm. your name deleting your account making a new one right Plus, it takes yeah. a lot of effort to find some paper and a stamp and an envelope <laughs> and write to the person who too. had that opinion and tell them that they are wrong and they are going straight to hell. It, it, it is amazing, <laughs> I think, how much or how uh, having to put in some kind of buy in, even if it's, you know, a 19 cent stamp or whatever they cost back in the day, you know, to, to yeah. do something like that. But whereas it's like, oh, let's turn on my, my laptop and type a few characters and you know, go back to whatever I'm doing. You could even uh, just put like four emoji in and get your point across. Right. Yeah. And plus don't forget <laughs> that there was still a gatekeeper on those. Someone mm-hmm. had to choose to publish that. The letter could right. get in and the person who's putting together the fanzine is like, I'm not publishing this. So there was yeah. still a level of, um, for lack of a better word, editing or, um, you know, filtering on those. So you, I guarantee you, you couldn't write a letter full of expletives to one of those fanzines and, and, and expect to have it published. Oh, no. Whereas today it's completely autonomous. You can put whatever you want, wherever you want. And I mean, you may wind up getting filtered somehow, but you can still mm-hmm. get out there. Yeah. And even if it does, you know, your, your, your audience is limited to however many people get this magazine, which mm-hmm. couldn't have been that many because it's all these, you know, homegrown publications, you know, they don't, they wouldn't be able to handle, you know, several thousand subscribers, you know, so it's not like now we're, you know, millions of eyes are on this thing and then it gets retweet. You couldn't retweet a fanzine letter, you know, anything like that. So it's just the, the scale is so, is so different now. I I yeah. think what you were saying about watching Star Trek with other people, I watched Star Trek in a complete vacuum. It was literally <laughs> me <laughs> because I, I mean, you know, I was, I was young. I, I played with the action figures with my brother and my cousins and that was about it. Like, I, I just didn't have anyone to say, this is nerdy to me, and this is not, you know, or this is something that's not for girls, or like stuff that yeah. came stuff that came to me when I was in middle school. I, I moved in um, the middle of seventh grade, which is possibly the worst thing you could ever do. And I got, um, I, I found another person who was new that year, and she was a little nerd like me, and we both loved Star Trek, and I finally had someone to talk about it with, and the other kids, like, heard us or something, and then they made our lives miserable from that point yeah. forward. Uh, and, and I was, but I'd already loved it, and Janeway was already the coolest. And I was like, "No, I can't, I can't stop watching, even though it makes me so unpopular." Well, I'm glad that you didn't. <laughs> I made fun of for watching Star Trek too when I was in school. It was, it was a, a quote unquote nerd thing to do. Nerd, yeah. yeah. And now, now that like nerds are cool, nerds have inherited yeah. the earth. Yeah, man, I wish because you know I. And now as a fan, like I really, I, I missed out because I could have watched T- TNG when it aired and I didn't get to. And that just makes me, I mean, I could have watched everything as they aired. Um, and I just, I feel like I missed out on a lot, even if I wouldn't have had a lot of other fans to talk to, just being able to, to look back at that time. Like I don't have that now. So I think that's another reason why I'm just so grateful um, I mean, yeah, I got to watch Enterprise, but Enterprise just—I <laughs> won't, I won't. No, yeah, fun. it's you know, it's—I should have watched Voyager. Like, if you're gonna have a woman sit down and watch Star Trek for the first time, at least anything but Enterprise. Um, 
you know, I've, I've rewatched it since, right? So I've, I like the female characters. I just, yeah, I don't like the disrespect towards the female characters and the misogyny that's prevalent in Enterprise, but that's a whole other podcast. That is Um, a whole other podcast. You listen to women at work where they talk about it. Uh, (laughs) But... But yeah, it's it's really sad that that's there. That's not even that's outside of fandom, you know. That's other people. Um, so I'm glad that you know now it is the the time of the geek. The geeks have inherited the earth, and so at least there's that. But we still have this really really sharp division where it's like it's black or white, and the reality is that a lot of people know they're right in the middle. And for some reason, those voices get overlooked. Um, so I, I think it's important to, to make sure that those voices are heard too. And to, as we've always said here on disco track um, to facilitate, facilitate, you know, constructive conversations um, that, that can be critical of Star Trek discovery or Star Trek as a whole. And just to show that, you know, it's, there's, there's definitely, it goes both ways, right? You can. Yeah. And it's funny. It's funny when we do a panel about women in track because people will say, oh, you're just criticizing the show. And it's like, no, like there's a difference between, you know, having cons- like, you know, like literary critical theory, right? Just because the critical theory surrounding Shakespeare uh, applied by Shakespeare scholars doesn't mean that they hate Shakespeare. They love Shakespeare. That's why they're, they're breaking it apart. They're yeah. breaking it down and saying these are the good things and these are the things that maybe are a product of the time. Like, you know, uh, we weren't allowed to put the word feminist in the program for Star Trek Las Vegas for our women in Star Trek. We weren't even allowed to be called women in Star Trek. Yeah. We were Trek We were Trek girls until the 50th anniversary. Oh, God. Yeah. I forgot about because they that. Because they didn't want to drive men away from the panel, which I understand. But I think now, you know, we've we, a lot of the fandom – I'd be saying a lot. I'm not saying everybody um, has evolved to a a a more broad understanding that feminist just means equal. You just want the men and women's representation to be equal, and you want women to, you know, not take their clothes off on screen all the time. <laughs> so, you know, and you're allowed to say like, oh, you know, the '60s were that era of miniskirts and go-go boots, but women in the sixties saw miniskirts as um, a symbol of power. They did. Like there's it's, there's yeah. a lot of context for a lot of these choices that were made that really we, didn't, we were not privy to because we weren't there. Yeah. It's, it's just like, it's either, it's either all the way. I, I don't, I hate to use like the left and right. Cause I don't mean that politically like it's, uh-huh. it's, it's extreme black or extreme white. It's, well, it's, it's like, left, it's extreme to this. It's not in the center at all. Right. Right. And not, it's not, like, you're not walking the middle road. You're walking either way, with- either way that you go, you wind up to a point of, of frankly, of, of ignorance because you're either hating something entirely or loving something so entirely that you're unable to criticize it or see anything wrong with it at all. Um, and I mean, that, that is okay for people who truly, truly don't like a thing and can't find anything that they like. At least you have to try. Right. So yeah. Yeah. If if you try and you can't find something that you like, or you try and, I mean, I can't criticize someone for loving something too much as long as they're they're not completely ignorant, um, and saying that this is perfect and you know it can't be in, 
proved i don't know um yeah no i see your point you just it's 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 like that with i mean voyager comes under so much fire when i when i was actually in orlando for um star wars celebration this year because my husband had been such a good sport about going to all my star trek events for the 50th that i wanted to um you know his his favorite is star wars so we went down there and we were chilling at the hotel pool after um after the con and uh, there were some guys there that had some like nerdy tattoos. We were talking to them. And then the one guy was like, Oh man, I love Voyager. Janeway's the best. And Jake goes, Oh my God, you just, <laughs> nice. you just made her like entire year because he was a young guy and he was straight and he liked it. You know what I mean? He liked, yeah. he liked the, the vibe. He said, Janeway's a badass. Like Bolana's a badass. Yeah. I love, mm-hmm. I love the show. And I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> Some of my Somebody fondest out. memories of watching Voyager, by the way, I'll just throw that out there. Um, back when it was actually airing, I had a really good buddy of mine who had a really cool apartment, and we used to go there and watch Voyager. And just uh, so many great memories of watching that show. It was was one of my favorite time periods in Star Trek. I mean, all of Star Trek, like there's good Star Trek and there's bad Star Trek. Like, and that's that's the reality. And I, I, uh, I, I could all rather watch the bad Star Trek than a whole host of other things. Seriously. Absolutely. So it's like, I don't see why we have to hate Discovery so much. But again, um, you know, I so I, here's my question. And I'm trying to understand with this division, like, why is it that like we feel like our our opinions or our wishes or what we want of Star Trek is like what the creatives should listen to all the like what i think about is the fact that i think a lot of fans and i felt this way um feel a sense of ownership with star trek because look star trek original series was canceled and the fans essentially helped bring it back i won't say that the fans are solely responsible for bringing it back but um mm-hmm. They were close. <laughs> They're pretty close. There was some assistance there, but yes, but but I mean, there's they played a an extremely important part in in getting Star Trek back on TV, and I think that you know Star Trek fans even now, you know, going to see the the Kelvin universe or Kelvin timeline films, you know, putting that money into it and encouraging other people to do it is is help helping to keep Star Trek alive. Um, I don't know. Do do you guys feel that way at all? That like this, this sense of ownership plays a role. It's almost like sometimes fans feel that the, the writers that they, they should be catering to us, I guess. Um, yeah. Who's us though? That's what I (laughs) say. Like, which yeah. us do you if you start worrying about which us we're going to cater to you're just going to drive they're just going to drive themselves crazy as as writers yeah well, they'll well, either they'll either never write anything or it'll be like a 20 hour episode i mean i i i think it's interesting and i do think that star trek is somewhat unique in that you know you had the fan movements to bring the show back from the dead so to speak originally but i don't and i don't think this this ownership or this this need to you know, influence the creatives is anything new. I mean, you have, you know, the stories of, you know, after Plato's stepchildren goes out, you know, you have these people saying, I can't believe you had Kirk and Uhura kiss, you know, I'm done, you know, how dare you? 
um, you have stories that Nicholas Meyer tells of, you know, Star Trek two. And they're like, if Spock dies, you die letters coming to him, you know, kind of. Oh stuff. shit. I, I have yeah. heard that, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, I think it's, I think it's really an accessibility thing again, just like with everything else in social media, you have Anthony Rapp, you have the writer's room with their own Twitter handle. And, you know, people forget that this is a person on the other side of a computer screen and you're I mean, maybe they will. I hope not. But you're not going to go up to, you know, uh, a writer on the show at a convention and say, you should do you need to do this. How I can't believe you went this way with the story. You really ought to do this, you know. But again, because they're separated by, you know, computer screens and, and anonymity in some cases, they feel like I should have the right to barrage you with stuff because you put yourself in, in their mind, I think they're saying, you know, you've made yourself available to me, so I'm going to take advantage of that. And what I really worry about in a way is that they're just going to say, well, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And we're yeah. not going to get the great, amazing access that, that we get. And, you know, things like, I mean, not I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm tooting Heather and Jeff's horn here when, you know, after our episode of Disco Trek goes out and we raised a point about how it was a shame that that Rika Sharma's character was killed off so quickly. And Anthony Rapp actually wrote back and explained, well, this is what happened and this is why that happened. And the fact that he write, listens to the show is amazing to me. You know? Yeah, I know. He just, he <laughs> and, takes it, they take the time to be engaging. And I think, you know, they, we shouldn't, we as in a collective fan base should not abuse that privilege. Absolutely. Because it yeah. is a privilege that they decide to open themselves up to right. to talking to the fans, and he even accepts the criticism. Like I was surprised to hear him like reasonably engage. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought he I thought if somebody like said something negative, he would be like, oh well, you know that's their opinion. I'm not going to fight with them on Twitter. Yeah, but um, he actually respectfully engages, and and he's not the only one. You know, I mean, you so 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 many of the. Former Trek people are very active on Twitter as well, so they get yeah. their opinions out there too. I think I I find also that fans seem to have a lot of trouble like accepting that Star Trek is not just a TV show and a, like their their passion that it's a business, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and it's it's their yes it's their as entertainment that but they also want to make money having it on television like it's not just again it's not just there for us i mean in in some respect i i really enjoy with discovery that when you watch the show you can see that they are providing some level of fan service, as I'll call it, um, you know, including little Easter eggs in all of the episodes, little references here and there or a character's name. And for the most part, it hasn't been done to the point of coming off as pandering. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, there might be one thing here or there that was a little much for for some of us. But but overall, like you can tell that the, the, the writers and even the actors that they appreciate fandom. And so they want, they do kind of give back in that way. But on the other hand, like they're the ones responsible for Star Trek. It's their job. And Star Trek is what's the word? Not a, not a commodity, but it's, it's, it's a way for all of these people yeah. to, to make money and make a living. Right. I yeah. have a comment about the whole, it's a business thing. Yeah. 
Um, I saw, well, I went to the premiere of um, the Spock documentary with um, Adam Moy uh, in, New, at, in Tribeca at the Tribeca Film Fest last year. And was it only last year? Wow. <laughs> and um, feels like a while ago. But um, uh, Zachary Quinto was there. And, you know, I kind of wanted, I, you know, they said, do you have any questions? And I was one of the people who raised my hand because I like to ask questions at these things. And, I, you know, I said, you know, what do you think the cultural shift was when it came from nerds are nerds and we're going to beat you up and like throw your comic book on the ground to nerds are cool and there's a million comic cons and and you know now Star Trek now it's cool to be a nerd and now it's cool to like talk about Leonard Nimoy and talk about him as being an icon um whereas before you know people wouldn't really admit that they liked some of this stuff mm-hmm. and Zachary like that the the, the answer the answer that I was not going for was what Zachary Quinto said which is they basically realized studios basically realized that they could make money off mm-hmm. of you Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. And I was annoyed that that's, you know, I felt like he like ended the conversation that I wanted to to hear from, like, especially to hear from Adam and to hear, you know, people who kind of had grown up in the franchise yeah, and seen and seen the shift because like Zachary Quinto came on the scene when he was, I mean, I'm, I'm young too, obviously, early thirties. And, you know, he's somebody who came on the scene and, and benefited from something like Heroes which is about people with superpowers mm-hmm. like right away. And I was like, I was like, maybe you, you know, he said he wasn't a Star Trek fan growing up. And I was like, you don't, you like, you didn't feel the pain of being a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, then, and then seeing the shift now and having, being able to do stuff within the franchise and being able to engage with this thing that I love, you know, on, on like a, you know, on, on a panels and, you know, at conventions and on podcasts and things like that. And, for me, that shift has been really profound. And I think by taking it and making it about a bottom line, that did bother me as some, because I feel like Star Trek is not just a bottom line for so many people. It's a, yeah. it's a set of emotions and a set of, yeah. of like belonging and inspiration. It's that ownership. I mean, it's, and it's, it's not so much like, well, Star Trek is, is mine literally that you own it, but we invest so much in it emotionally and financially and, you know, with our time um, that I, and, and it's a good, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to be able to find a sense of family or belonging um, within mm-hmm. this, this community. And so it gets, it's hard um, when, you know, you would, <laughs> You really love a thing, and then especially if it's if if you you get something that you don't like, um, and like you're like you keep saying, oh, you know, I've what brought me in was the you know the 2009 the JJ verse and all that, and I'm like, I hate that movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, and not, I think, I'm not, but I'm not gonna beat you up for liking it. And I think that the you know when the when the JJ verse came into being, that was kind of a when everything kind of burst, like the the bubble burst and this vitriol started happening, this war between fans, because, and, you know, part of it is that, okay, it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And so a lot, a lot of people have difficulty having those characters redone and then having it redone in a way that is really um i always just wondered why that was the choice like i that that's literally my main issue is that i i want to see 
they, I, I think they just took names that people knew so that they could recognize it. Yeah, absolutely. I and think dropped that's it absolutely, into a different kind of space story, a more Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely what it was yeah. so that it would attract a lot of people. And it did. And I like, look, I like the first, I liked the, the 2009 film. I, I don't actually like- didn't hate the most recent one, which is high praise for me that I did not yeah. hate it. <laughs> so. and it's pretty, it's, pretty, it's uh, I think most, most of the people I know, most of the fans I know liked that one. Um, and I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I don't love any of those films, um, to be honest, but the 2009 film has a special place in my heart because it, I watched it and then said, well, I'm going to go to you. It was cool and new. And that's yeah. the important part. Yeah. Um, but, and it was that, that way to a lot of people. So, but it's like, I think that's when this really started because that was the first iteration of Star Trek that we had in this time of social media and some people hated it and some people liked it. And then there was everyone else in the middle that was like, well, I like this, but I didn't like that. Um, and then, you know, that ushered in the way for discovery. And so for the most part, I think a lot of people were very excited for Discovery and then also very apprehensive about Discovery. And unfortunately, the, the course of Discovery here um, kind of continued to really drive that rift. Um, I don't know but, why people were that apprehensive as a I well, understand. Oh, like, you know, you're it's when I, the only thing I was apprehensive about was when I heard that it was going to be set before the original Enterprise. Because they yeah. keep doing that in my opinion. like go go past the yeah. Voyager like I want to go past the Voyager timeline yeah and a lot of people do and I I think it's just again because of of what they kind of with everything that happened with the Kelvin timeline and what people are unhappy about there they were afraid that they were going to do the same thing which Discovery and in some some sense they have done that right mm-hmm. they have um there's been some retconning that's true yeah well and it yeah. it it looks like a movie and it looks a lot but I like, like that because <laughs> yeah. we have the tech now just do it if you have yeah. the tech um, I love it. And I, it, it kind of looks like the dark side of the JJ, you know, it's like, right. instead of everything being all color, white color and like, a, yeah, yeah right, it's all right. dark blue and everything. So it looks different. The, the Klingons look much more like the JJ Klingons than any Klingons we've seen before. So there's a, there was a lot of resistance as this news was coming out and then they put it behind a paywall and yeah. That, you know, I it was kind of a shooting self in the foot maneuver a little bit. <laughs> we've we've really tried hard um, in our STLV community and in our podcast to. I mean, in no way are we championing <laughs> CBS's decision to put it behind us. OK. And mm-hmm. again, we do not own Star Trek and we are not going to convince them to pull it off of CBS All Access unless everyone didn't watch it and it didn't get the numbers it needed, which didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. I'm going to pay for it because I believe in paying artists for their work. And that's basically what Discovery hinges on. Because it hinged on that, I paid for it. It wasn't like I love the idea of paying for it, but hey. Yeah. Well, but to, com- to be completely fair, every Star Trek series that's aired since the advent of paid cable has been behind a paywall. You just didn't realize you were necessarily paying for right. it. Well, but it, it's the reality. <laughs> your parents that, were paying right, for it. Right, your parents are paying <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. it. Well, sure. I think ahead, also, Carl. I mean, I mean, the thing about if you want to split hairs, I think for a lot of people, myself included, 
I wasn't subscribing to CBS All Access, right. and I had to subscribe to CBS All Access mm -hmm. to get this one show because I've perused CBS All Access, and other than maybe After Trek, I'm not that interested in what else they have. I mean, that said, you know, you look at the show and, and the quality and the money that they're clearly spending on this show, the money's going to come from somewhere. And, and, you know, flip on network CBS and look at those shows like the money's not there. Um, no, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get the, I mean, you have, you need a Netflix or a Hulu or an Amazon or somebody to get behind it. And look how, look how like it cheap it is to make the big bang theory. Well, sure. Oh, yeah. They have what? They have what? Like, like a couple sets and a, a bunch of cameras, and they're aside in the studio. From, yeah. Aside from what they pay the cast, money. Yeah, the cast costs yeah. money. Yeah. Well, now they do because they're the most watched show on TV. But to get the most watched show on TV, they didn't have to put all that much capital behind it. Sure. If the Big Bang I mean, had been faded on forever, out, right? yeah. So. If it had faded out, you know, they wouldn't have been like, "Oh, this is a huge loss." But if Discovery had, it would have been like, "We spent millions on these special effects." Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, at this point, it's like we've kind of we've we've gone through the CBS All Access conversation over and over and over, and now we've been through nine episodes, and I don't necessarily want to rehash the conversation, but. You know, I will be very honest, and that is that, yes, the majority of my friends that are tried and true Star Trek fans, and that's that's not an acclamation of anything other than they will do what they have to do to watch Star Trek, okay? Yes. Um, they, they're paying for it. They're happy with what they're, the quality of what they're seeing. They, they may not like the plot, the storyline, the characters, whatever, but most people seem pleased with the quality of the show, for their money. However, I think we can all agree, hopefully, that CBS All Access has some work to do. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm I mean, still... they basically launched. It's like when UPN launched with Voyager. It's CBS All Access launched for real with Discovery. Yeah. But, you know, and on a streaming platform that's continuing to have some issues um, and hopefully they get worked out. But then, you know, aside from that, I'll be. I'll be honest, like I'm not going to cancel during the winter break because I'm going to go binge watch Discovery two or three times. But when Discovery is over in what, March or something, I'll probably cancel my subscription unless there's another Star Trek show or should they remove the Star Trek content from Netflix and put it only onto all access but if they do that, they have to put the HD versions because... Shush, don't give them ideas. <laughs> well, you know, I... I, I want to see Star Trek survive, and so I'm I'm not opposed to to helping support Star Trek. But you know, I do also have Netflix, and I think that uh, you know, of course, if if they had put it on Netflix, they probably have more viewers because more people have Netflix. Um, yeah, Netflix is like now a cultural phenomenon. Like it's past its nor what it was originally meant to yeah. do, and it's just gone beyond. I think most people who have cut the cable have Netflix, yep. um, whereas nobody really had CBS All Access. And so I think there's some work to be done there. You know, having said all that, just like we've we've said, I, I pay the $10 a month uh, for the no commercials, and I will continue to pay $10 a month as long as Star Trek is on there because the quality of this show is just the best Star Trek the way that it looks, okay, not the mm -hmm. not the plot and everything else, but just the visual effects are the best thing I've ever seen out of Star Trek. For yeah, Star I think Trek we finally yeah. we finally caught up to the vision I think that Gene had in terms of the tech that's available. 
Yeah. So, so since you mentioned those two magic <laughs> words, um, and I, I don't want to spend too long on it cause we've got some time restrictions and I want to move the conversation along, but, um, that's, it's one of the things that comes up a lot. Um, and it kind of ties into the idea of ownership is this, this thing that is Gene Ronberry's vision <laughs> and, and, and that in and of itself so this is where sometimes I, I have to speak up on social media and we'll we'll talk about the specifics of how we deal with social media and commenting and stuff in a moment. Because for the most part, I, I tend to d- not engage. Um, but when someone is giving out false information, mm-hmm. I I cannot just sit there quietly. And so somebody, you know, tweeted the other day that you know, Gene Roddenberry would never have wanted to make money off of Star Trek. That was not his vision. Oh, uh, uh, no. That is why yeah, he totally started. False. <laughs> he and existed look, in TV to make money. Totally yes, false. yes. Yep. So I can, I will give, I will give everyone that, that part of Gene Roddenberry's vision was what we see in Star Trek and this optimistic version of humanity and where we're going to go and everything that's that's there you know a world without famine a world without poverty a world without war a world of evolved intellectuals on pretty spaceships you know but what is it hilton in space they say for tng <laughs> yep. um but this was also as star trek is you know this was roddenberry's job along with all the people who became involved in Star Trek. And so not only did he want to make money, he came up with products like the Idic to put into Star Trek to sell to make money. Like mm-hmm. he he along with others created merchandise specifically to push and make money off for Star Trek. So it's just false to believe that Gene Roddenberry's vision did not include making money that doesn't mean that it didn't also include this beautiful thing that is star trek but i i like to see it you know just hearing you talk it's like the zephyr cochran like you know what i see money dollar signs i want to retire yes. on an island with naked women that sounds like gene it does sound like gene actually <laughs> you know and I mean, all of it all of it does people really love to put gene ronberry on a pedestal and as much as i admire him for the human being Okay, for, let me let me take that back. As much as I admire him for the vision of humanity that he saw and for this overall message of of peace and and personal evolution, Gene loved money. He loved women. He was an alcoholic. Yep. He was not a great human being. And he had me, flaws, like yes, it, like just you know. like all of us do and just like all of the main characters in discovery do <laughs> which of course is a big reason why i love discovery because those characters are all human and they're well okay no not literally but they're all they're all imperfect we all are gene roddenberry was and so it's something that i will very passionately <laughs> defend in a sense is that you know his his vision wasn't puppy dogs oh replicated puppies uh, it wasn't <laughs> puppies and flowers and everything wonderful it it included star trek being a business and profiting and aside from that like i i say on social media and i may have said in some of our podcasts now like gene's vision has really evolved and it's not Gene Ronberry's vision so much anymore as it is Star Trek's vision because Gene Ronberry is dead and yep. 
I hate to be so frank and blunt about this, but it really bothers me when people try to speak for Roddenberry's vision, because as much as you may think you understand it, unless you are Gene Roddenberry, you don't. And unless you are the people that have contributed, and I mean, this includes Gene Kuhn, you know, his... Mm -hmm. Even somebody like Richard Arnold, I mean, everybody had insights that have added to the evolution of Star Trek so that these days I, I just I can't buy into throwing out Roddenberry's vision as any kind of argument, if that makes sense. I think also when you think about, I mean, Gene sold the rights to Star Trek because he was broke. Mm -hmm. Right. The Roddenberry family does not is not profiting off of all the merchant, like all the action figures, all them like, you know, yes, I'm sure they've gotten something over the years, but CBS Paramount, they're the ones who are profiting. Yep. You know, like I doubt any of the money from the Kelvin universe, like all the merchandise that's come out surrounding that has gone to, you know, like Rod and his family, Rod being Gene Renry Jr. Um, it's not like Rod's just sitting there in his house on the hills raking in all this money. <laughs> no, and, and I think it's something people, you know, maybe they don't know that. Maybe they don't know that, um, you know, Star Trek, he had to sell the rights, for, you know, because of, because of money. Like, Yeah. Well, and I know, mean, and even though Rod he, is... If he felt comfortable, like, maybe he didn't like doing it, but if he felt like he had to do it, then, you know, who are we to speak to his vision of no, he didn't want money. That's the silliest. Yeah. And I mean, Gene's vision itself changed over time. And quite frankly, if you want to learn about, I mean, and any Star Trek fan, if you're going to attempt to speak for Gene Roddenberry's vision, please educate yourself and go read any book that you can find, especially something like, um, the is it Mark Cushman? Oh yeah, the, the these are the voyages. voyages. Yeah, these are the voyages. So, really good. Um, those are really great Star Trek encyclopedias. There's a lot of books out there, and that it's not an insult. It's just please, please, like there, there is so much to learn about. Gene is, yeah, Gene's not the only like keeper of the kingdom either. I mean, you have people like uh, the Okudas. And Rick, Rick Berman, Berman and, and, and Larry, Larry Nemestek and like all these, you know, people who are people who helped surround, who helped Michael Westmore, you know, who did the, the makeup, who yes. helped the look of the, who made the look of the show iconic, you know, Gene had a, an idea, but he had so much help executing. Yeah, it's not it's like it's not just Gene's vision. It never was, you know, maybe while Gene was sitting there thinking up the idea for Star Trek, it was his vision, his vision. And when he played, you know, when he had the upper hand and he was making the calls, but still it's been influenced by so many people, countless people over the last 51 years. And, and that is the reality. And it's something that people truly need to accept. Um, because quite honestly, if you bring me that excuse, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be <laughs> quiet and I'm not gonna let you get away with it. Um, I wanted to move into talking a little bit more in depth about how we interact on social media. Um, and aside from this sense of ownership, I feel like the other aspect that's, that's really playing into our behavior is that of, of mob mentality or herd mentality, group mentality. You can call it a few different things. And that's basically that we as human beings like to be around people who think like us. <laughs> it's it's a pretty basic thing. 
we we gravitate towards people who who think like us, who have common interests. You know, that's that's why we like other Star Trek fans because we share that that passion. That's Social- why we get together every August <laughs> Vegas and spend lots of money at the Rio. Yeah. So in the past, you know, this was a really great thing because we would, you know, have our meetups like STLV or back in the day they had, you know, your Star Trek fan groups, which we have some here uh, where they go. There's a very active chapter in New York as well. Yeah. There's lots of different groups where people go and get together and they're able to talk face to face and have conversations about what they like, what they don't like. And very rarely do I ever find out about any physical fights or racism (laughs) or, you know, just any kind of any of the things that we see on social media. Um, I think that right now, like there's a lot of division in our country because of our political environment. And I don't want to, we don't talk politics here. I just want to point out that because of that, I think that 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 overall general environment in our daily lives and society is bleeding into our online experiences and how we deal with each other. And so this thing happens where, like in the case of Anthony Rapp, whom you mentioned earlier. Um, so first of all, we have the fact that Anthony Rapp is portraying alongside Wilson Cruz, um, one of the the first male gay character in Star Trek. Um, Together, he and Wilson Cruz's character, they're a couple. We don't know that they're married or anything, but now at episode nine, we've gotten a beautiful moment between them where they kiss and they both say, I love you. And it's done in a really wonderful, natural way. I was so happy. I cheered. (laughs) That was the highlight of that episode for me. Um, That... As everyone know, knows, if you listened to the last episode of Disco Trek, I really had I had a very difficult time with another part of that episode. Mm. So um, the the relationship between Stamets and Culber and what happened specifically in that episode um, was just redeeming for me for the for the part that affected me so severely. Their relationship overall, their storyline and their characters, I just have completely fallen in love with myself. And as as a queer person, that's it, it means something. Right. But from the minute that like Anthony got brought into the fandom and I focus on Anthony because Wilson Cruz didn't really join until a bit later. But from the moment that Anthony was brought in and from the moment it was made clear that he was going to be the first gay character like on social media, you can't look, and this kind of goes for for everything where where there's division. Like you can't read the comments, you can't look at, at Twitter mentions because there's there's a very severe vocal and, a vocal. There's just uh, the reality response. that there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of homophobia in the world. Okay. I don't think there's as much homophobia as there are people supportive of the queer community, but Anthony, because it's so hard, it's, it's extremely hard. And Anthony is extremely, you know, active, interactive on, on social media, on Twitter, even on Facebook. Um, so we start watching these comments come in and it's not just, I feel really terrible for an actor whom I really admire, but I think people don't realize that making one comment doesn't just affect the person you're directing the comment at, but it also affects everyone else, like everyone, not just in the queer community. It doesn't just hurt me, but it, it, it 
campaign's allies to see that. And so what happens? I mean, my brother is gay. I like right. every so, time I you can't and it's like when it's your sibling, you and he's a younger sibling and I'm the oldest, it's like this like blind rage just like takes over. Right. And so what happens is that we get this divisiveness where you have an army of what did that I call? I call this the the mushroom army or the shroom army um, <laughs> that that rise up to defend Anthony against all of the people that are, you know, just making homophobic comments and it doesn't belong in Star Trek, except and that's a whole other and it's just something again that's kind of been rehashed all over the place. Like Star Trek has been about diversity from day one, and at this point, I I think that. People who who aren't down with the diversity in Star Trek, but who still like Star Trek are just they don't care. Like they don't see mm. it. They don't see how that's been a part of it. Um, or it's just that, well, they don't care. They don't mind if there's a black woman on the bridge. That's really great. But I don't want gays in Star Trek. And I don't want to see a gay man kissing someone on a starship, I guess, is the problem. And I hope that if that was the case, they also didn't want to see, you know, torture and sexual assault. But I've heard less about those things than I have heard about um, gay characters. And it's it it got worse when, you know, Anthony came out and made made the public statement that Kevin Spacey had assaulted him when he was um, a a young teen. Yeah, 14, and Spacey was, like, in his 20s or something. And the disturbing thing was that not only, and, you know, again, so here here I am when when Anthony is attacked for being gay. And look, guys, I know I a, a lot of people don't quite get get it because from the outside, look, I'm in a, a heterosexual relationship. But I like all kinds of people. I've been with all kinds of people. So just because I'm in a relationship that that doesn't look gay doesn't mean that I'm not a queer person. So that affects me. I think that's an excellent point that, I mean, a lot of people might not understand. Yeah. I've, I've mentioned it to my brother when, you know, we have a very good friend of ours who said, like, recently as last year, just you know, I still don't believe in gay marriage. And I'm like, how can you say that to my face? You don't, he knows my brother. They've, you know, they've hung out a lot, like, you know, but he doesn't believe that my brother should be able to get married. And I said this to my brother and I was upset about it and he didn't get upset. He said, you know, if he had to change the way he thought about it, he would have to change his entire way of thinking about life. Yeah. Some people are just not capable. Some people are not. And in that... In that case, like I don't have so I don't have any advice or solution. Like that's just except for don't 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 just, make yourself don't crazy. Spend your time. Like put your you know the the end of this is this discussion is basically going to be about put your put your energy where it makes a difference. And look, in some cases, you can have a conversation with people and and enlighten them or pr- help provide them a different perspective. Or a realization that, you know, just because I'm in a relationship that looks this way doesn't mean I'm not the person that I am. Um, But look, back to the point about Anthony Rapp. So I'm a sexual assault survivor. Um, I've been sexually assaulted numerous times in my life as a child, as a teenager, um, in one case over a number of years. I talked about that last week, if you want to 
Well, anyway, so being a sexual assault survivor, my heart breaks to know that this happened to Anthony, and I have no doubt that it did. But now I get to see all of the really disgusting and disturbing comments made about him and, you know, why he waited 30 years and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I waited that long, too. It takes a long time to come to terms with what happens to you because it's really terrible. And you have to you have to live that life to truly understand it. And that's something that I've realized um, this past week. But I can't hug you right now because you're in Denver and I'm in Connecticut, but I'm hugging you from my room well, in Connecticut. You. Thank you. Um, I will say this. I I am able to talk about what happened to me because other people talk about what happened to them. And I continue to talk about what happened to me um, because I know that it helps other people. And that's what Anthony Rapp was doing. Um, it's not easy. And he to opened a flood. He need. I t- I tweeted him. I said this was necessary. Your bravery was. was necessary. It was. And a lot of people, you know, there was just, there's just again this mob mentality of either I'm going to defend this person or I am going to tell this person they're wrong or it didn't happen, um, etc. And I mean, it even. It even came out of some people in the Star Trek community, including, yes. well, obviously just fans in general, but other actors. I think um, Manu Intriyami, I can't say his name. Um, Intriyami? Yes. He uh, said some pretty disgusting comments on Twitter, which I have no desire to reiterate here on this show. But, um, you know, basically it was Team Spacey. And saying a lot of terrible things about Anthony Rapp. And so I hope never to see him again at a convention. I'll put that right there. But there's there's just a reality that people seem to swing one way or the other. And look, when there is there is free speech, and I think we all appreciate our right to have free speech. But I don't appreciate hate speech. There's a big difference between hate speech and free speech and no i we, i mean we i've been having this cause as, as a prof, as a professor just new this semester to being a professor you know you have 17 year olds you know and we discussed what had happened in charlotte and we discussed um you know the way it, it bleeds into our into our discussions almost weekly because this is the climate we live in Yep. And even when you're talking, you know, my husband's an attorney and there's definitely a difference between free speech and hate speech. And it's been established for a long time in the court system. And for people who want to give that people who want to give the uh, impression that this like, I mean, the the guys who run Twitter, they don't ban hate speech because they see it all as just. <laughs> well, it comes. You know, I, I'll refrain from the political comment I was going to make. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are, we have Nazis right now spewing yeah. their, their Nazi hate on, on Twitter. And, you know, I, this is the thing that I like to point out because as everybody knows here, Jeff and I admin our, our Facebook group um, for the convention. And, a lot of times when we try to enforce our rules that are basically don't be a hateful person, people don't cry be out. an a-hole. Yeah, people <laughs> cry out free speech. Um, however, 
our group has rules. And if you want to be a part of our group, you have to adhere to those rules, just like Twitter has terms of service. And if you want to be on Twitter, you should adhere to Twitter's terms of service. So I know that not everyone goes and reads the terms of service, but if in there, you know, Twitter condemns using their platform as a tool for hate speech, hate speech, then nobody spewing that stuff should be on Twitter. Like those, those accounts should be closed. Um, and it's kind of scary that we live in a time right now where, where that's not happening. Um, especially when we're seeing more and more people jump on the bandwagon, um, and feel like it is now okay to do this. And, you know, it's not just happening to Anthony Rapp. Um, it's happening to, you know, a lot of our TNG uh, actors like Marina Sirtis are are pretty vocal. And Marina is very vocal politically. Um, Marina is very vocal across the board and she's happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She talks a lot about uh, soccer. Right. She talks, or, yeah. She talks trash about the opposing team. Yeah. She's, you know, she's. She's um, she's very vocal, and first, a, a, a lot of people, you know, they'll a lot of so she's she's a very liberal person, and so I will see her tweets get quoted. I'll search for Star Trek or something on Twitter, and she'll be quoted, and it'll be you know some mean comment. And uh, I think in that case, at least it wasn't actual, actually like a quote. It was just like they took a screenshot or something. So at least she's not notified. <laughs> That's good. But it's it's difficult to see all of this happening because the actors are, you know, copied or put in mentions and all this. So they're they're seeing all of this. And I, I think so after um, Into the Forest I Go, when we had the the kiss between Stamets and Colbert, like I said, that episode was a lot for me to process. And I sat down and I was like, look, here's the one thing that I just have to hold on to and appreciate right now. And so I did screenshots and I made a tweet and I just said, you know, thank you because diversity matters, you know, or not diversity, but representation yeah, matters. Representation um, matters. And that tweet kind of took off and I woke up the next morning with a lot of Twitter mentions and a lot of homophobic comments. And those, I, I had copied um, Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz and I think Writer's Room and maybe Erica Lapolt and um, Bo Young Kim, who were the writers, just because I wanted to include them in my thanks. And that's something that I don't do a lot. I don't like to tag these people for no reason. Like, I'm not going to be like, here's a pic of my dog and tag a bunch of people, you know. Um, but Blizzy is so cute. <laughs> and I'm sure that they, they might like like Blizzy and his tardigrade. But um, so anyway, that that tweet, this is what I have to hold on to. At the end of the day, that tweet was retweeted almost 300 times. It has over 1,200 likes. And I got less than less than 50. And 50 is a lot. But I got it. And it may have been less than 25. Frankly, I... I didn't count and I started muting and blocking people, but as many, like for every one homophobic comment I got, I got, you know, 10 likes or retweets or comments that were supportive. And so I really try to hold on to the fact that, you know, this went beyond my circle. This went beyond my little curated Twitter feed. Um, so this to me was reflective of the public 
even though a small portion, but those people were still supportive of having gay characters in Star Trek and having that kiss. Um, and, and that's what I have to take, take from it. I think a big part of it too, Heather, and just coming from, you know, being a big part of feminist Twitter and being a big part of, you know, the conversation surrounding women in science fiction and gay care, especially LGBT characters in science fiction in this instance is that, you know, you're expressing an opinion as a queer woman, right? And that's going to make you a target, whether you like it or not. And it's still making targets out of people, you know, every, in every walk of life. Right. So I think that by the fact that you doing that, you know, it shows the fact that you felt, you felt, you know, largely comfortable and you, you got so many retweets and and likes, you know, to 1200 likes is nothing to sneeze at for sure. Um, especially with a tight knit community that we're that, you know, so everyone's like, Oh, Star Trek, there's so many fans, but the people who are active in the community, it's not that big, you know, it's like, it's a small world after all that kind of thing. (laughs) And I think if you got, you know, a couple outliers like that, that you blocked and muted, I have to say like, you know, on the whole, then I could like feel proud of the fandom too, if I were you. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but you, you, like you just making the choice to not look at the garbage. Right. Um, so, but before we move on and I respond to that, I just, Jeff and Carl, do you guys have anything to add? Cause I know that Amy and I are talking a lot. <laughs> you guys have been very quiet. I kept thinking that. Oh, well, uh, I mean, I, I can't argue with anything you're saying here. Um, and you know, it's, it, it again comes down to this idea of, you know, as far as free speech goes, you know, I'll defend your ability to block whomever you want from this group and, you know, whether they enforce it or not, you know, Twitter's right to have terms of service. I mean, yeah, for, you, you know, you shout First Amendment, whatever, you know, yeah, you have the right to say whatever you want, but you don't have the right to have a platform to do it from. And, you know, if you want to shout this stuff, go to the top of your roof and get a bullhorn and yell if you really want to. But, you know, no one says that you have you're guaranteed an audience for this stuff. And to me, that's the real you know, negative side, I guess, to the existence of social media these days is that, you know, you can have a, you have a conversation and anyone can just butt in with their own opinion about things, uh, just by hitting reply. Um, you know, if have, you're, if you're in a, have convention, you had an, a specific, I'm just curious if you've had a specific experience that you wanted to share with us uh, that we were dealt with that instance. You know, I, I haven't, I'm not, I try not to stir the pot or even get involved in a lot of these things. I mean, the, the biggest one I have, and, and I don't remember this person's name and I wouldn't bring it up. And Heather, you'll know who I'm talking about is this person who made a point of saying how she, she's a quote unquote true fan of Star Trek and on listing all the issues she's had with discovery and how she's received death threats because of it and counts all the mentions she gets and all this stuff. And, you know, it, at the end of the day and and you know i would just kind of politely try to engage because i you know like heather i tried to correct the record if there's something completely factually wrong that's being stated but um you know and then some people jump in and honestly the the most butting in and and almost borderline abusive behavior i've encountered on social media came from a former job of mine where i was uh tweeting from a a uh congressional hearing on uh, uh, electronic cigarette regulations of all things. And the, the vaping community is a very vocal group of people. And I got, I got put on lovely lists of like 
you know, on Twitter, you can put on lists at random or by people. And it was like, you mm -hmm. know, the dumb ones and, and these mm -hmm. amusingly named lists, you know, and, and stuff that I, I don't do that anymore. So, uh, you know, luckily I, I, and, and, you know, Amy, you mentioned this and I think you're right. You know, I'm, I'm just a guy on Twitter. And I think that that in a sad way kind of shields me from a mm -hmm. lot of criticism that, you know, you and Heather may get because of, you know, your identity just, you know, and it's, 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 it's a sad thing, but I think it's, it's true that just, you know, they're not going to be willing to engage me when they would rather go after other people. Well, it's good that you were able to like recognize that and to articulate that too. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly aware uh, of it and, you know, I'm, None I'm just saying back. it's like it's good for like, you know, like other listeners to hear you to hear you articulating in that fashion. Like I'm like, I don't know you at all. I met you like virtually <laughs> like, like like an hour ago. Right. And it's very <laughs> and it's and it's very, you know, it's very heartening and very, um, you know, it's a it's a positive step for me to hear that from a guy I don't know in the fandom. So I really appreciate you saying that. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's it's something I always I always try to keep in, in the back of my head and. And I mentioned this, you know, in, in context of, of the last Shore Leave episode that, that was put out, you know, where it's like around the issue of online harassment. It's like, you know, write something and then think, like, how could this be interpreted? Like, even if you don't mean it in a bad way, like, think, could this possibly be interpreted in a negative way? And if you say yes, then change what you're saying. I mean... You know, it's not it's not what you mean. You're, there's no intent. Your intention is not communicated. It's the words. And yeah. and it's incumbent on the person sending something to consider how it's going to be received by somebody who doesn't get tone, which is a big thing. There's no tone on reading text, you know, so the, the reader is going to infer however they want to infer from it. So, you know, don't assume just because you said it in your head. Oh, this is a witty thing that I'm saying because I'm hearing it, me say it out loud in my head, you know, that's, that might not be how it's read. Yeah. You know, word, words are powerful, whether they're written or spoken. And I, it, it's just, you know, when we're, when we're speaking, like when we're doing podcasts, you know, sometimes I say things that I don't, I don't, I don't say them the right way. Um, or I, I lose my words or I, it just doesn't come across the way that I want. Uh, and so I try to be just very cognizant of what I'm saying. And then Jeff knows if I go back and I'm like, oh, gosh, did we not approach this the right way? Can we go add something or or edit this so that it doesn't sound as bad as I think it sounds? Uh, you know, that that kind of stuff happens. But it just just yesterday I was I was trying to listen to a podcast that a friend of mine does that is very critical of discovery. I had actually stopped listening to it because it just, it just got overly negative and spent too much time focusing on negativity in my opinion. Um, and that's, that's just for me. That's not to say anything else about it, but I went back yesterday just, just to get, just to revisit and see if anything had changed or honestly, I was, I really wanted to listen to something that was coming from the opposite side and from the opposite perspective that I have. And, and they were discussing Michael Burnham and, and this person said, I quote, I wanted her to get a bullet to the head. Oh, and this is, this is somewhat, I mean, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to say what the podcast was or who the person was. And I 
hope that they can respect the fact that I'm not doing that um, if they do listen. But I know the person that said that. I don't know them extremely well, but I they're not – they're not the type of person that I would ever expect to have said that. And of course, I don't think that it's like a a literal, I mean, obviously she's a fictional character, right? So, but that, that's it. Like, that's a very strong thing to say. Yeah. Maybe if if they had time to reflect rather than just spit it out in the, in the moment, they would maybe not say it or at least rethink it. I would hope. I just, I just wouldn't say those things specifically. Um, and you know, that is, that is me and that is my opinion. Um, but I typically don't really wish any character dead. I didn't care for commander Landry, but I sure as heck didn't say, I hope she died. That's, that's a very difficult thing for me, ha- me to have heard and then try to reconcile with the person that I know and then not not have some very you know negative feelings about that person because of hearing that. And I think that the, I, frankly, I think a lot of people don't care. Like they don't, they don't care about whether or not they should have a filter. They don't believe in having a filter. They believe they should say what they want to say. And I in some ways understand that. I think that it, with doing that, you have to take certain responsibility for the way that your words are received. Mm-hmm. And again, some people have, don't want to take that responsibility. They do not care if they offend you. And and that is just who you know some people are. And so kind of to bring this discussion towards towards the end and, and on, on what to do. And we've kind of talked about how we handle this division on social media. And look, my, my goal is I don't want there to be these two sides. Like I my hope is that somehow Star Trek fans can can come together. And I don't know when that's going to happen because there's discovery is still causing a divide and a large part of that is that paywall another part of it is just Klingons or something (laughs) um you aren't wrong (laughs) I mean and that you know unfortunately like and and there there are a lot of people I know that love Star Trek that a had no idea that Star Trek was coming back on tv or was on tv um and b that just won't pay for it and so those people are not going to see it, are not going to supportive, are not going to support it. Um, I can't talk to them about what's going on. And these are people who genuinely love Star Trek, okay? It's not people who are just putting their foot down and don't want to pay. And again, that is someone's right. And I understand, I understand where those people are coming from. But I hope that at some point we're able to... To, to really come together. And to be honest, like, I, I think the reality is that when we do come together in person, this vitriol isn't there. Carl, you weren't, at, well, I guess Carl and, and Amy, you didn't go to STLV this past year. Um, no, I could no. not go this year. But the, and I missed you so much. <laughs> no, I missed you too, but you were so nice. Heather Skyped me into the ladies panel that Jara and Women at Warp did. It was so yeah, nice. That was fun. <laughs> um, but so, you know, Discovery had a presence there and it was really great, number one, that they did have a presence because Jeff and I were sitting here saying, oh, we don't expect anything. <laughs> um, and they surprised us. And so I think the overall tone 
was was very positive around Discovery. Um, Mary Chifo, Kenneth Mitchell, Wilson Cruz, uh, Sam Bartholomeos, uh, what we had, Glenn Hetrick, we had um, Neville Page, who were makeup, we had Ted Carter Hall, we had Kirsten Beyer, we had Akiva Goldsman. All of these people working on Discovery were present and they were on the... And didn't Brian the- Fuller also kind of like, that was before he had, or no... That was I, last year. Yeah, he he definitely wasn't there. He wasn't um, there. He didn't, I don't. Um, I know he had like a presence. I don't um, remember a different event. Sorry, I, I'm, I think I'm it had not. to have been a different thing. But yeah, so but all of these people. He was no, all yeah, all, all of these people were there. They were present on the floor. They were there through most of the convention. And as far as I saw, the tone was pretty positive. Um, Jeff, did you kind of get that same vibe? Oh yeah, for sure. I I don't remember hearing anything remotely negative at STLB right. this year at all. Right. So, you know, when we're, when we come together and we're there in person, like, as we said at the start of this podcast, you're, you're so, so less likely to have this, this level of confrontation and vitriol and hate that happens on social media. And so people are not brave enough to do it to your face. No, that's just no, what it boils down to. They're not. And I think at the end of the day, I think they're just not even those people. I mean, I, I'll be honest. There are times myself where I am so frustrated with the negative side. And, it, you know, as I've said, look, I have plenty of my own criticism of Discovery. I've talked about it in the last eight episodes we've done of Disco Trek. There are things I don't like and things that I can criticize but I'm over what the Klingons look like. Like I'm over focusing <laughs> on, on things that just are not going to change at this point because that's pointless. And I get extremely frustrated. And there are times when I, I want to lash out, like I want to let that anger out. And I think that, you know, when, when that there's just, there's anger present. Okay. I think there's a lot of... I think of, it's on both sides and just acknowledging yeah. that. It, just acknowledging that is a good step. Yeah, I think that being a, being aware that that frustration is in anger is there on on the, the side of people who don't like discovery and on the side of people who do like discovery. And when we play into our anger, it's not a productive thing. <laughs> like, You know, I think I think it's there's a, there's a very important factor in social media that I think gets missed in a lot of these types of conversations. I've discussed this same type of thing with so many different people. And there's a psychological aspect that's built into every piece of social media, every platform that's out there. Um, if, if you've never heard this term before, look it up because it's it's very fascinating. It's called gamification. There is a, a psychological aspect that's programmed into all of this stuff that makes it self-propagating. No matter what you put out there, be it negative, be it positive, there are tools built in, likes, hearts, retweets, follows, uh, you know, hearts, likes on Facebook, hearts on Instagram, upvotes on Reddit, whatever it is, whatever content you put out there, it finds an audience and people will affirm it for you. So it's self-propagating. Even if you do offend people, if you put negative things out there, you're still getting that psychological payoff of somebody liking it, somebody retweeting it, and you get these magic internet points. And that plays into, it's a, there's a psychological hook there. And it reinforces that behavior and people just keep doing it and doing it. And there's this whole subconscious part of it that I think is is almost toxic in a way. 
Um, it can be good, of course, because it can also reinforce positive behavior. But I think this is one of those things that really helps to maintain the, the some of the negativity that's out there because those people do get that payoff. That plays into the, the herd mentality where mm -hmm. one person's doing it and then everyone else gets on the wagon with them. And so it's more, you know, feeding into that more and more. And mm -hmm. I, I can tell you myself that I, and this is not, this is a, a humble brag, I guess I'll say. Um, I, I was really happy to see that, that tweet about Stamets and Kohlberg get so many retweets and so many likes. And I felt really great about that um, because that was affirm, you know, affirming to me that people felt the same way and that people supported how I felt and supported what happened in Star Trek. And the people who post the negative stuff get the same payoff when they see the same thing for their tweets and retweets. They do. And yeah. it's it's just interesting to me because I know that at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm a positive person. I, you know, and I suffer from depression. So I I have very dark times, um, but overall, I, I try very, very hard to be a positive and optimistic person. I think there's also a part of it where you just have to, it's like, um, I think it goes even like all the way back to, remember on American Idol, it was like vote for the worst and they wanted people to vote for who oh, was gosh. the worst uh -huh. singer. No, I'm serious. It's like I've, the or of that episode I've read, of the Orville the other day. Yeah, <laughs> I've read about it and I, like I've studied the like, you know, pop. It's like when it's like when we go through these this this like they call it like hate culture. Right. So like you yeah. hate watch something or you yeah. like you like you hate watch the Kardashians because you don't like them and or you um, or it's like this. Remember when Anne Hathaway was up for an Oscar and everybody suddenly was like, oh, who does she think she is? We're sick of Anne Hathaway because before she was like America's sweetheart. And it's like, where does this like there's like a breaking point where the the, the culture just turns against the people if they've been in the limelight for too long. Right. Well, and I just I I'm trying to understand the psychology of, of this hate watching and being on the opposite end and putting all this energy into something that's very negative and makes me want to take a nap. <laughs> I have other stuff to do. Um, it's exhausting. And, and I'm definitely mentally and emotionally exhausted, uh, just in our general, general world climate, national climate and in social media. And that's a large reason why I have backed out. And so now as much as I do what I can to expose myself to opposing perspectives, um, because that's very important. It's you, you can't just see the world through one lens. You really have to try to understand it from every perspective. Um, but as much as I do that, I also have to practice self care and look not respond. Like not we, look at the hater aid. Yeah. Well, Jeff and I <laughs> talked about this in our shore leave episode, which was social media harassment and fan spaces. Um, and that's a conversation that's pertinent really to how just we as people and Star Trek fans interact on social media. So it's, it's a broader discussion of some of the things we're having here. And that's, that's on shore leave if anyone wants to listen, but um, I have just started to disengage and like I said, unless it's a matter of um, inaccuracy or false truth, not to be confused with false news, which isn't a thing. Um, <laughs> fake news, fake news. Um, yeah. So uh, unless it's something like that, I just ignore um, because I, I would rather at the end of the day put my energy into places where it's going to be effective 
um, and have a positive outcome. And that doesn't always mean that that it's a positive conversation. I had a very long um, Twitter conversation or Twitter and, you know, public Twitter feed stuff about how I was feeling about the sexual assault scene, uh, the rape scene in the last episode of Discovery. And I was really trying to come to terms with how I'm viewing it, how other people were viewing it, and how even though other people understood that it was rape, it wasn't what I experienced when that happened to me. And it never will be. And at the end of the day, I just came to realize that, you know what, I don't think I want you guys to see, like, I don't want that to, to be on TV. I've seen it in other shows and to really understand the severity of what that is, um, probably don't really want to see in Star Trek. But again, um, I had a very, I had a conversation with a lot of different people. And at the, at the end of the day, one of my friends said, you know, thank you for this. And that it's, it's, I've learned a lot like this Twitter has benefited me today when typically it really doesn't. And so I think that I know that I want, I want my social media experience to be a productive thing. And so that's, that's what I do is not, not engage in the stuff where my energy isn't going to be effective or well-spent. Um, so, so Jeff, what do you do? Like, what's, what's your advice here? Um, well, I don't know if my advice is going to be the best advice. Um, I've really started to talk more one-on-one with friends or in group chats um, or in person about Star Trek and Discovery. I didn't find a lot of my social media interaction to be as productive or, or inside our Facebook group. I, I'm more apt to be in more private spaces at this point, not necessarily because I like to be in a bubble, but I just find that there's people that I know in my life or the people that I message directly or people in these groups that are intelligent people who can speak objectively uh, and constructively when we have criticisms and have an actual real good dialogue. Not that there wouldn't be those people uh, possibly on Twitter out there and, and, you know, but I've, I've kind of gotten, a little gun shy of the the drama and a lot of the the hate that's going on out there. So I I do actively try to avoid it a bit. So may not be the best advice for everybody, but it it works for me. I think it's valid advice, honestly. If that's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to do what is best for you and there's there's no right way, there's no wrong way. So Carl, what about you? I think I mean, you've kind of talked about it, but yeah, I mean, I, I like Jeff, you know, I try to have conversations at least with, with people who I know what kind of response I'm going to get back, you know, at least the tone. And I, I try to stay away from the controversial topics. Um, you know, like the most controversial thing I think I've said lately is, oh, this episode is probably the worst Q episode they ever did, you know, and I <laughs> had a little bit of an argument Fighting on it, but, 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 <laughs> but, but it's nothing that's going to, uh, you know, no one's going to send any hate mail my way because I didn't like uh, hide and Q that much, you know, and, and I try to just ignore uh, anytime I see vitriol thrown around because I don't even read it just because if I can avoid it, just because I don't want to get worked up. Um, the other thing I've found myself doing in a lot of ways, uh, and this extends into non Trek related controversial topics is I'll therapy, write a tweet and then delete it 
<laughs> so instead of sending it out, I'll type out what my response would be, kind of look at it for a little while, and then I'll just delete it and not ever send it because I'm like, well, okay, I was able to get my words out on virtual paper, so to speak, and I did it in a way that's not going to, you know, cause any blowback to me. And it's not. And and at the end of the day, is it really going to contribute to the to a, a real conversation? Probably not. So, but at the same time, I feel like at least I said my piece in my own head so that I can move on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Amy, any final advice? Um, I am more apt to engage. I think that's just my personality. Not in not in the Star Trek fandom lately. I have been very fortunate. I think that I've been been able to get a lot of positive feedback surrounding my opinions on Discovery, surrounding my opinions on the franchise in general. And I I have to you know I and I really I like our Facebook group. I think you and Jeff do a great job um, moderating it and kind of keeping the hate speech out of there. So it, I don't find it to be a place of stress, which is nice. Yeah, because other face Facebook groups, other Facebook groups that I've been in have been a place of stress. Yeah. So I think that, you know, to the point where you're like, I'm going to mute your notifications and I'm only going to go there when I, um, when I have time to go there, when I'm in the right headspace to go there, that kind of thing. Um, I think just, you know, the, the engagement on Twitter is, is a, is a tricky slope for everybody. And my advice is really like, you know, kind of what I just said to Jeff, which is you do you, you know, you have yeah. to, you have to take, you know, you have to, what, what you can handle, just take that on and what you can't handle, you have to step away from. Well, the nice thing is that why, while Carl and Jeff um, may be more quiet on social media, they're balanced by the, the voices <laughs> of Amy Woo! and and Heather. Uh, so there's, there's some balance there. Um, it's, you know, up, up until the last few years, really, I, I just, I didn't talk about my life and all of these things that have happened. And, um, and some part I, I, I owe it to Star Trek, um, for helping shape me as a human being, even, even in the short, short amount of time I've been watching it compared to others. Um, you in the but... club, Heather. <laughs> don't worry about well, your status, okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I think I think anybody who knows me and talks to me realizes that my extents of, of knowledge and fandom and, and frankly, I, I don't care what anyone has to say about me because I, I'm pretty confident in who I am. Um, but, you know, Star Trek has given me a, a great family with uh, amazing supportive people from all around the world. Um, the, a diverse group of people, probably the most diverse group of people I've been exposed to aside from when I lived in South Florida. <laughs> um, but well, it also sounds like it helped you find your voice. It really, it, it really has. And, you know, part of, part of that has, <clears throat> has been with podcasting um, and, and literally using my voice when I'm at STLV and when I'm with my Star Trek family or even local friends, that is the one place in this world that I can be 100% me. And I've heard that from other people as well. I don't, I don't fear judgment. 
I don't fear dirty looks. And, and I won't say that, you know, every, every Star Trek fan is accepting because they're not. And that's a reality. I think we all have to accept. We want to believe that we are all these evolved beings that we see. Oh man, you uh, just channeled my X-Files. This is what I want to believe. Yeah. Sure you triggered my X-Files. <laughs> man, I, I do. I want to believe, but, um, that, that's not the case. We're all, we're all human beings. But um, the Star Trek community is the one place where I can truly be myself. And that has been extremely empowering. And so because of everyone's support, all of my friends who listens, um, all of my friends who listen and Jeff, who does the podcast with me and then all of our guests that come on um, help empower me. And then when I when I find the courage to talk about some of the the bad things that have happened to me, I, I get support from our listeners who send me messages or just when I talk about this stuff on Twitter. And I'll be honest, I don't talk about this on Facebook. Um, Facebook is a different animal for me. I, I own a business. I have clients who are friends and I have people who I went to high school with who know the teacher that abused me um, and who are still friends with that teacher. And so... None of those people listen to this podcast, and that's why I feel safe um, talking about that here and why I talk about it on Twitter. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Star Trek community has been an extremely positive place for me and has had an immensely positive effect on my life and and I think everyone's life here, from what I gather. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I, I would like to believe that despite... Uh, the the current the current uh, climate of social media that's not really reflective of of the Star Trek community as a whole, um, or that it's not not entirely the truth. Because when we do come together, regardless of who likes or doesn't like Discovery, we all seem to get along. And, and we're all gonna have a drink at the masquerade <laughs> bar in August. Well, that's well, the most important yes. part. We'll be there. Um, we will have a toast, um, toast to the first, the first season of Discovery, and perhaps by August we will have a release date for season two or know when that's coming. Although I, I mean, who they said 2019, which is a very long wait, and I hope it's sooner than that. Um, Judging by the special effects, probably not. <laughs> well, they gotta, I, I, they gotta make it good. I guess we will see. Um, so I think we have reached our time. Um, Carl, did you have any last words for our listeners or about the subject? Oh, you know, just, uh, you know, think before you post and, you know, realize that, you know, just because you're not looking at somebody face to face that you're communicating with another person and, uh, you know, consider how your messages are going to be received by the other side and not just, you know, be concerned with what you're throwing out there. Because I think a lot of these miscommunications happen because you're not thinking about what it's going to sound like to the other person on the other end. And, uh, you know, just just don't be jerks. I mean, come on, you know, don't be a jerk. And just because you don't like something, you know, don't assume that everyone else has to agree with you. That's the biggest thing. Like, I'll respect you not liking something that I like if you respect the fact that I do like it and mm -hmm. just be respectful of other people. And that's, that's all there really should 
needs to be said, but unfortunately it's not the only thing that needs to be said at this point. Yeah. Amy, what about you? Any final words? Um, I think just echoing um, what was just said, but also, you know, don't let your need to be right in your own mind, trample (laughs) on somebody else's feelings. Yeah. You know, people say like, don't, you know, don't, don't be a bully. It's like, goes in the same sense of like, if, if this wouldn't be acceptable in, you know, in a, in a social setting, in a bar, you know, would this get you smacked in a bar? Don't do it. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's just, it's just a matter of having that self awareness. Right. And which is basically what you just said. So, yeah. All right. Jeff, what about you? I echo everybody else's comments, you know, be good to each other, be respectful of other fans because we're all Star Trek fans and we can disagree and unfortunately, I think we live in a time where um, a lot of people regard their opinions as facts and opinions are literally just opinions. And, you know, they, they, they mean something to the person who has them, but don't necessarily mean something to the people that are of a, of a different opinion. So, you know, your opinions are what they are and respect other people's opinions. And you know, I think everybody will get along a lot better. And that's what Star Trek teaches us, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's all the, the warm fuzzies. Yeah, at the end of the day, um, we're we're all human beings on this planet, and um, everybody deserves respect. Everybody deserves basic human rights. Respect is one of those basic human rights, I guess. Um, and you know, Star Trek people are, in my opinion, some of the best people in the world. Uh, so it's important that we take care of one another and, you know, so just live up to that reputation. <laughs> be be like Leonard Nimoy is what I like to say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, be like Leonard. Be, be Do, like what, Leonard. what would Leonard do? WWLD. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I like to put my energy where it matters and where I'm going to get something in return, even if it's just the, the good feeling of being kind to someone else. Um, so I, I hope that this podcast has helped facilitate, um, a needed discussion and maybe given some perspective to people. Um, my, my goal was just to, help everyone understand that they were all on common ground. Um, even if you don't like one Star Trek series, there are many other series that, that you may like. And at the end of the day, we can all just talk about Star Trek. It doesn't have to be about one episode of Star Trek, one series of Star Trek. Um, but we all have this great thing in common that brings us together. And that is something to be celebrated. Um, so I want to thank you, Carl, Amy, and Jeff for your time tonight. And I definitely want to let people know how to find you on social media should they want to talk about Discovery um, or all of Star Trek. Uh, so, Carl, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter um, at Carl Wonders. Um, I'm also a part of the unofficial uh, Las Vegas group on Facebook. So you can find me there if you're a part of that. Awesome. And Amy, how about you? 
I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Lightstar101013. I also have a blog that I am trying to keep up to date called Shoes and Starships. <laughs> I've been a little delinquent in the last six months, but I did break my kneecap, so forgive me <laughs> and uh, you can also find me in the Star Trek group um, Amy Imhoff on Facebook and yeah I hope to see you around Twitter and contributing to excellent discovery conversation thank you so much Jeff where can we find you uh, Warp Factor Jeff on Twitter and I'm also an admin of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook Oh, and I have a book out. I have a book out. I forgot to, I forgot to pimp yes. it. Tell us. Um, the Star Trek, um, it's uh, Outside In makes it so. It's a, a group of, um, there's over 100 of us who, ha- everybody got an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and we analyzed it from a different point of view. It was released in September, and there are so many awesome Star Trek authors that are part of it. Um, my episode that I did was schisms and I really enjoyed writing about it. Oh, so cool. I need to get that one. Yeah. I'm super excited to like see my name in print for the first time. Is it on Amazon or where can we buy it? it? You you can actually buy it directly from the website, which is ATB publishing. And I think I'll just, I'll give you a link. Maybe you can add it to the disco Trek um, page. If you, if you do that in the comments. Of course. Absolutely. All right. So I am LLA Posper on Twitter. I'm on Facebook in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group. The show Disco Trek is Disco underscore Trek on Twitter. And we are the Tricorder Transmissions Network at thetricordertransmissions.com. Um, Tricorder Show on Twitter. Uh, and so we may talk to you before next january or we may not we're not quite sure um but we are certainly looking forward to seeing everyone at stlv and talking to everyone connecting with our listeners maybe sooner than later but if not certainly january 8th (laughs) since the episode (laughs) is january 7th um so thanks everyone for being here and live long and prosper 